in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, at verse 33, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this episode of The Eclectic Monk, I want to share the story of of an amazing man who understood what Jesus was talking about. And although it happened a very long time ago, the circumstances seem really contemporary. Don't go anywhere. You might learn something. So the Apostle John, uh, the brother of James, was one of the very first disciples of Jesus, along with Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And, of course, there were 12 disciples, one of which betrayed Jesus, that was Judas Iscariot, who committed suicide. So of the 11 remaining original disciples, known as the apostles of Jesus, John was the only one who was not martyred. The other ten were killed for their faith and for their uh, refusal to not declare the good news about Jesus. But John lived to an old age, uh, ended up in exile on the island of Patmos, working in the sulfur mines in his old age, where he received the Revelation, which is the the last book of the Bible. And John actually wrote uh, five of the books that we have in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are all letters, and then the Revelation attributed to him as well. So John was a very important figure in the early church. And John went on to be the bishop or the leader of the church in Ephesus, And one of his students was a man named Polycarp. And Polycarp went on to become the bishop or the leader of the church in Smyrna, which is in modern-day Turkey and was at that time uh, part of the Roman Empire. And so Polycarp is a very interesting figure because he's one of those who bridges the gap Uh, between the original followers of Jesus, those eyewitnesses, into the first generation of Christians who had not seen Jesus. Polycarp is one of those second century church fathers, uh, a group of which who I find so very interesting because they really were the first people who stepped out in faith John had had dinner with Jesus. He knew Jesus, and he knew what he was talking about. But all Polycarp knew was what John had told him. He never saw Jesus himself. And every subsequent generation from that point on has had to walk in faith, not by sight. And Jesus actually says in his 
a great high priestly prayer in John 17, that we who believe, having not seen, are more blessed than those who have seen. So I've always found the second century uh, church fathers to be a really, really fascinating study. And Polycarp is a particularly fascinating one. Uh, And what I want to share in this episode is the story of his martyrdom. Now, one of the things that in modern day Christianity is uh, very prevalent is this idea that in order to be a good Christian, in order to love your neighbor, we're supposed to uh, just be complacent, do what we're told, and don't make anyone uncomfortable. We're certainly not supposed to stand up for our convictions, our, for our rights, uh, our personal liberties, as it were, need to be laid aside for the greater good and the comfort of the people around us. And, you know, that sounds good, but it's just not true. Look, Jesus, you know, like it or not, Jesus is a political figure. Jesus went head to head with the Sanhedrin, that is the the Jewish uh, religious leaders, and they were a political body. And Jesus was crucified because he refused to give in and do what they said he should do. He was walking in truth, not in religious, you know, uh, what's the word? Expediency. Jesus refused to back down. And so he ends up before Pontius Pilate, who was obviously a political figure, the proconsul of, of Rome, who was in charge of the area in Palestine. And really, what Jesus was charged with was being subversive, politically subversive. The, the Jewish Sanhedrin, this, this religious-slash-political body, had brought Jesus before Pilate and said, he's, he's inciting the people to riot. And the last thing Pontius Pilate needed was another riot of Jews around the Passover. And so he asked Jesus, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Because that's what he had declared himself on the triumphant entry. On the, uh, If you look at what happens uh, when Jesus goes in on what we call Palm Sunday, riding on the back of the donkey's colt, and the people you know, proclaim him you know, the son of David, that is a political statement. And it is counter to the political current of the day. Jesus looked at the political current of the day and he said, you are wrong. And he opposed it. And in that opposition, he finds himself arrested. And then he finds himself before the proconsul of Rome who asked him, are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, well, yeah, but my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would come and they would rescue me. But I have no need of that. See, Jesus knew that he had to die. The death on the cross was not just a good man dying for his convictions, but the death on the cross was indeed the atoning sacrifice, the perfect man 
the God-man, the sinless Son of God, dying and taking upon himself the wrath of God for all of the sins of humanity. And we know that this is what happened because three days later, he rose again from the dead. And he's still alive, my friends. And that's what Polycarp believed. That was the gospel message that John, the apostle, was teaching. And that's what Polycarp had understood and went on to teach, that Jesus was indeed the king of heaven. He is the king. And that conviction was going to lead to Polycarp's tribulation. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to tell you what happens in just a moment. So the year was 155 AD. I know that seems like a long time ago, but but listen to the story. At that period of time, there was a general persecution in Asia of the Christians. And the problem that the Roman government had with the Christians was their refusal to worship Caesar as a god. The cult of Caesar was the glue that held the fabric of the Roman Empire together. And so what would be done was the soldiers would come into a town or a village. They would gather up all of the people. They would bring out this altar or censer. They would light a fire. They would have a bowl of incense. And people would come up. They would take a pinch of incense, throw it into the fire, say, Caesar is Lord. And then they would receive their writ of, of uh, fealty, where they had declared their loyalty to the state, and they would go live in peace and pay their taxes and do their work and have their children and live their lives. The problem was, for the early Christians, that they felt that making that declaration, that proclamation that Caesar was Lord, was Antichrist. Their declaration was that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus is the preeminent one. And I am a citizen of his kingdom, not the empire. Caesar is number two. He is not number one. And so to go and make that public declaration would be to deny their faith in Christ. Now, I know that sounds crazy to some people today. And it sounded crazy to the Romans and the common citizens, non-Christian citizens, in 155 AD. The story of Polycarp's martyrdom begins actually with a young man named Germanicus. Germanicus uh, was a young man who was taken um, and refused to give oath to Caesar. He refused to bow down and worship Caesar as Lord. And he was a young man, and the Roman soldiers, they, they said, look, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Don't throw your life away. Just, just say the words. Just do the thing. All, 
nobody cares if you believe it or not. Nobody cares if you mean it or not. All that matters is that you say the words publicly so that we can give you the little writ of fealty and you can just go on and live your life. Germanicus said, no, can't do that. They said, okay then. They took him to the amphitheater, which is filled with people who were cheering the Romans on, people who were comfortable with the political system, people who did not want things to be disrupted, people who had bought into the narrative of the state, that these Christians were dangerous, these people who believed otherwise were wrong, that Caesar was Lord, that the state was preeminent, that any gods we might worship were really just secondary ideas anyway. And they cheered as Germanicus was brought out into the arena with the wild beast. And according to Eusebius, the early church historian, Germanicus went out and actually uh, eagerly irritated the wild beast against him, all but forcing and stimulating them that he might sooner be freed from this unjust and lawless generation. He went out and he basically laid down his life and let the wild beast destroy him, kill him and tear him apart. And the multitude, they were amazed at his courage and they were enraged that he didn't run around terrified, but that he stood his ground and with great faith and dignity, died the martyr's death. And they cried out, it's all that Polycarp's fault. Polycarp and his teaching, Polycarp and his preaching, Polycarp, he's the one we want. Go find him. Let's get rid of Polycarp and we'll get rid of our problems. Now one thing to note, Polycarp at this point was a very old man. In fact, people were amazed that he was still alive. And the faithful, the, the, the Christians, knew that the mob was out looking for him. They went to where he lived and they began begging him, please, please get out of town. They loved him. And Polycarp at first said, no, I'm, I'm not going anywhere, but was finally persuaded to leave town, to go a few miles outside of town to the farm of some friends where he spent the next two or three days in prayer, in prayer for the church, in prayer for the people. Finally, as he was there praying, he was found. The soldiers came in, and they found this elderly gentleman with a big smile on his face. For in that time of prayer, he had had a vision. He had a vision that the pillow on which he was lying caught on fire and he was consumed by the flames. And he knew that that was going to be the means of his death. And so these people entering at a late hour, they found him resting in an upper room. They could have easily, you know, he could have easily escaped, but he, but he stood there. And he basically asked these soldiers, he said, Would you give me an hour? Let me provide you with a meal. And while you eat, 
give me an hour to pray. And so they they did. They sat down, had their meal, and he arose and prayed. And then they took him and they took him toward Smyrna to the arena. As he's riding along in the cart, there were a couple of Roman citizens who jumped in the cart. And they began saying the same thing they had said to Germanicus. Look, Polycarp, you're an old man. What difference does it make? Just say the words and spare your life. You don't have to go through this. All you have to do is just say the words. Just do the thing. Just give in. And Polycarp looked at them and he said, Look, for 86 years I have served him and he has never let me down. How can I let him down now? And they were so enraged by his answer that they actually kicked this old man out of the cart and he bruised his thigh, according to Eusebius. And then he kept walking, uh, not moved from his purpose as if nothing happened. And he eagerly went on and was conducted to the stadium. As he entered in, there's a great cry from the crowd. The mob was bloodthirsty, and they were hungry to see this man destroyed. And he walked in, and they said, we're going to feed you to the wild beast. And he says, well, if that's what you want to do, but I don't think that's how it's going to go. Then they said, look, because he was so unafraid of the wild beast, we'll burn you at the stake instead. And he said, fine. Do that. So he had had a vision that he would die by fire. As he's walking toward the stake, he hears a voice in the stadium that says, Be strong, Polycarp, and contend manfully. And no one saw who it was that spoke, but the voice was heard by many of the brethren, according to Eusebius. Again, they said, Swear by Caesar. Repent and say away with those that deny the gods. And Polycarp says, with a countenance grave and serious, contemplating the whole multitude that were collected in the stadium, beckoned with his hand to them, and with a sigh up to heaven said, away with the impious. And the Romans were enraged. They said, revile Christ. Polycarp said, no, how can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And so they took him to the stake. And they were going to drive nails through his arms to pin him to the stake. And he said, there's no need. Just tie the hands. And so they did. And they rushed out to get tender and straw sticks to build the pyre with and the people of the town eagerly rushed to their homes and businesses to gather whatever flammable things they could get and they piled them up around Polycarp and Polycarp was filled with confidence and joy and this countenance was brightened with grace and they were all dismayed and they took and they lit the fire 
and as the fire was lit, they said it was as if a wind blew in and surrounded his body and his body would not burn. He was consumed by the fire, but the flesh would not burn. Instead, it turned to bronze, (laughs) had the appearance of bronze because a wind kept the flames away from him. And the Romans were so enraged that his body wouldn't burn that they took a spear and they pierced him just as they had pierced Christ. And the blood gushed forth in such great amounts that it extinguished the flames. And Polycarp was dead. And the brethren begged for the body, but they wouldn't give it to them. Instead, they took it to and burned it again, but they were able finally to collect his bones and the bones of Polycarp are apparently still in Smyrna, to my understanding. Now, the testimony of his martyrdom and the impact that that had was so great that the persecution ended for a period. Of course, there would be small localized persecutions continually until the 4th century. But Polycarp knew by faith that Jesus Christ was his king. He knew that the state was wrong. He knew that the demands that they were making upon him were not God's plan. And he refused to deny his faith, to put aside his conviction for his own convenience and his own self-preservation. And rather than deny the king, he suffered great tribulation and physical death. Although we know that Polycarp is alive and well today in the presence of Almighty God. Just because the narrative in the community says this is how it should be. Just because the government says this is what you must do just because the machine demands your fealty that you must do the thing to prove your loyalty to the state does not mean that to do so is godly. That's the lesson that we get from the burning of Polycarp. And I think it's a very, very important lesson for those of us who claim the name of Christ to grab hold of and understand 
today. If you knew that persecution was coming in the next 12 months, what would you begin doing now to prepare yourself to endure, to persevere, even unto death, if necessary. It's time for the Church of Jesus Christ to see to its roots. That is what I believe with all of my heart. So, fellow travelers, Until we meet again, travel with intent. Have joy in your journey because this is not all there is. There is a better day coming, I assure you. And know that this Jesus who we proclaim is real, he is alive and well, And he's coming back. And I believe he's coming soon. Until we meet again, may God richly bless you. Take care.
So I really, really do appreciate you listening to the podcast. And I appreciate you sharing it on social media or just by word of mouth. Appreciate you following it, liking it, rating it if possible on whatever outlet that you're enjoying it on. And appreciate all the encouragement that I've gotten along the way. The nine of you still inspire me. And I really, really thank you all from the very bottom of my heart. So again, till we meet again, God bless. Thanks.